Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Overlap. I'm, of course, joined by Rian. That's our new intro. And we told you, if you listen to, I guess it was Tuesday morning's podcast, talking about the rest of the weekend's games, we're going to bring you an extra additional pod for the week, talking about the Champions League semifinals first leg, all of the details of what went on for both of those games. Of course, spoiler alert, Manchester City beating Real Madrid 4-3 in a seven-goal thriller, and Liverpool defeating Villarreal at home at Anfield 2-0 as well. So the fun part about today's podcast is Rian and I are actually sitting side by side. And I'm literally like, I'm looking at Rian in the face when I'm saying that. Um, and it's extremely refreshing. So, hey, what's up? Oh, yeah, it's a, it's great. This is, this is like my second time being, or third time, I think maybe, being in Alice's uh, apartment here and the first time that we're recording so yeah this is i guess we're just doing this yearly now one once a year pretty much <laughs> once a year we're, we're gonna we'll be doing a, a live podcast with just with the two of us um no no hopefully we do uh, at least a couple more of these um before the end of the season if possible but no this feels great it's great i i know we're in two very different weeks right now i've got a week off and Alice has been more active while also still fasting for the most part. And so just he, he's standing right now. He he somehow has the energy to still be uh, not sitting in a desk or sitting in a seat right now. So I a lot of respect for that. Wow, I'm honored. I'm honored. Uh, you can't see it, but I've I'm standing because I basically sit all day. So like I feel like an absolute fat ass when I don't <laughs> I don't move around for like more than 10 minutes. But um Yes, it's definitely it's definitely been a month. Um, we're gonna do more of these in person for sure. Um, honestly, I feel like the biggest thing over the last three months, like I think we had this conversation offline, but the change in the weather actually makes like a really big difference in your mood. You know what I mean? Like when you and I were recording and doing things like over the winter and like the sunset at four, it's like, oh great, <laughs> like it's just like a more stuff to do after work. And B, like, it's just dark and cold all the time. Now it's like, oh, yeah, I'd love to go outside and, like, go to Rian's or him come here. Like, just do more things more often. And once Rian gets a knee replacement, we'll get him, you know, back out in the soccer field. But that's, again, neither here nor there. But it's it's good to have you here. <laughs> yeah, no, no. For anyone out there, I'm not going to – hopefully I'm not having a knee replacement, too, honestly. So – that's a bit premature but yeah no this the the weather it is it is annoying how much it changes your your mood honestly um and we're not even like close to full spring yet here but it's but it is just yeah the last what two years of winters have been pretty pretty bleak so uh every time we're coming out of them you feel like even more rejuvenated because <laughs> our winters the last two years have been like hermit hermit crab like pretty much because of obviously because of the pandemic and uh i mean obviously it's cold of course but not wanting to go out while at the same time not really being allowed to do much when you're out um has made like these springs come with like a completely different feeling than probably any time you can remember in your life 
No, it's so true, right? It's like, <laughs> there is a three month span where I actually didn't want to go outside. Like that was a real thing. That's, that's just not normal. Like that is not at all a normal thing, um, but it's, it's so real. Um, as it gets warmer in New York, it's, it's just going to be a little more refreshing. So long story short, um, Rian and I, of course, are together to talk about some football and just general life things, I guess, as well along the way. But Rian, I think we're going to start at least this episode talking about the first game, first semifinal of the week. Real Madrid against Manchester City. Quite honestly, I think this is going to be a majority of our discussion. I don't know if you feel the same way, but there, I have a lot to share, and I, I definitely know you do too. Let's talk about a game that saw Manchester City go up 2-0. We'll start with the first 10 minutes. They went up 2-0 within the span of basically what seemed like no time. And quite honestly, that, at that point, you probably felt like Manchester City were going to go through. Right. Like, I think everybody in the stadium just felt like, well, you've got 170 minutes left of Manchester City basically doing the same thing. But the game ended with a one goal difference and there were a lot more goals. Um, Let's talk about those first that first half, those first 10 minutes. What did you kind of see from Manchester City that stood out to you about their performance and what kind of led to the fact that they were just so dominant in the first half? Yeah, I Something that I feel like I took away from both of these two games, but obviously a little more, both these two games this week, uh, semifinal first legs, but obviously it means more in, in City's game against Real, is just they really look like technically a more superior team. Not like we know that how good um, Pep Guardiola is at setting up his teams tactically, but just outside of the obvious points of, of like what makes this Guardiola team more times and not better than you when, when, when you throw the playing styles out there, city just looked like a better team. Each player's touches were just so, so perfect in those first like 15 to 20 minutes, honestly. Um, their passes were all really precise and they were finding space like so I, I, don't, I don't even want to say easily because I I don't think like necessarily that Real Madrid um, were totally poor defensively in the in the in those first 10-15 minutes I really think that City found space really like really well and now we've seen this happen to Real Madrid like in each round so far where the opponent in the first leg um, not in the first leg, or in one of the legs at least, has found just a lot of a lot of space. Um, but City were doing it just at a higher level than either Chelsea or PSG did in the last couple of rounds, and I think that's kind of what I took from the first like 10, 15 minutes. Like the first goal is just that, that's just a perf- beautiful dribbling from Mares. I can't remember who switched it out to him in the first place, but that was a great switch. But then beautiful dribbling through like two to three. <laughs> Uh, man, or not Man City, Real Madrid players, and then a perfect cross into uh, De Bruyne, who makes like a perfectly timed run, <laughs> and and a really brave header too. Like I think just there's there's still such a superiority. I think um, when you look at everyone on Manchester City, like the every single player's like individual touch and their ability to play devastating passes. It, that was kind of like what that was what was like most surprising to me was just how much 
better technically they looked than than Madrid. Yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you said that because I think that's basically the perfect way to encapsulate this this entire game. Manchester City looked like the perfect foundation and solidification of a team. Right. They looked like the better team because they were more tactically astute and they had the right players in the right positions. I think starting Gabriel Jesus was a fantastic decision. I thought starting that midfield trio, I, I wouldn't change a thing. I mean, truly, like you you said this on Monday, like you expected kind of big galaxy brain pep to show up. And I don't know if we got that. Like he basically put out exactly what you would think is his probably favorite 11 right now with of course the exception of Cancelo and Kyle Walker since they're out I thought Manchester City were so by far the better team in that first half and that led me to believe and become even more confident in that Real Madrid are winning the Champions League like truly that that was my thought process I tweeted like I I said this in the middle of the first half I was like Manchester City being the strong is just another reason why I think Real Madrid are, are going to, again, go on to win the Champions League because you saw exactly what happened towards the end of that first half and into the second half. Manchester City had chance after chance after chance. And I'll get into why I think that was the case in a second. But at a high level, they had chance after chance after chance. They missed consistently on those chances. They had an extra of well upwards of three. And you're talking about, a team that probably could have scored seven goals, like probably could have, but Real Madrid have such incredible individual quality that make up that gap and golf of, of let's call it talent. Cause Manchester city squad is probably overall more talented than Real Madrid's. Um, but their individual talent is just so sublime. I, I was genuinely shocked when Benzema scored like that first goal. Like that's, that was again, what solidified a lot of this for me. Um, But like, did you, I I don't know. Did you feel the same way? Like, do you feel like Real Madrid just were never out of this? Like that was my biggest fear. Like you never thought, okay, well, this is over. Yeah. I think as long as, as long as the gap was only two goals, it was, there's still always that, um, possibility of what we saw what happened with Benzema scoring in the first half and then um and then Vinicius in the second half as well I think I think we'll say the third goal I, I like handball by the letter of how the of how the law is written but obviously they're like a little lucky to get that to get that third chance to, to be able to to cut the tie because you know again at 4-2 I think we all would have felt like yeah that still feels about right <laughs> the city should probably be two goals up at least in this um but yeah that was kind of like the whole the, the dichotomy between the two the way the two teams um find success especially in this tournament right where it's what made it beautiful obviously too because you saw like one team's just a beautifully run team and and as you said everything kind of fits into place and when it's moving kind of in sync at the same time it looks as unstoppable as it did for long stretches of this game not even just for just those 10-15 minutes um but then you had on the other side the quality of just of individual talent of of like what it looks like when guys just win their one-on-one battles and what that can open up for the entire team I mean thinking about the literally the first two goals again for 
for Madrid. It's just it's not even bad defending on I think on Benzema's. It's not even bad defending. It's just the the cross is honestly kind of behind him. And then he takes it out of the air and kisses the the far post, the inside of the far post. And um, I, I think it might have been Zinchenko that was on it. Still guarded well. Just just there, there was no space and he still makes um, something out of nothing. And then Vinicius' goal, you know, I guess all you could tell Fernandinho to do is not go press with him. But that's not how Manchester City, that's not how they win the ball back as a team. Like he has to go and press uh Vinny's touch and unfortunately Vinny never took a touch like he just never took that touch and he dummied it and 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 um megged Fernandinho in the process and had himself 60 yards to run at at Ederson after that so outside of that it's hard to think of many other chances that that Real Madrid created maybe I th- maybe one or two I can think of maybe one Benzema header at some, uh, some point in that second half but it's it, it was uh it was just kind of another showing of about oh, this is why like this like city in particular have been knocked out this is why real madrid have made it through the last two rounds too where it's like they're getting outplayed like team performance right but when you have at all times well one when you have at all times the best player on the field which is benzema right now he's in every one of these games right it's hard to pick a single game in this um in this competition or, or in La Liga where you can say he's not the best player on the field. And so when you have that, you always have this possibility of, of, of goals coming out of nothing. But um, at the same time, they have at least three guys who can single-handedly turn a match in, in terms of uh, Vinicius, Benzema and Modric. Like when, again, when you have that, that's also (laughs) enough to carry you to, to uh, scoring goals when, when, there's almost no reason for you to believe that a goal's coming up until that point. I I never thought you would finally join the train of thinking that Real Madrid are just that dominant purely based on individual talent. Obviously, I'm saying that partially tongue-in-cheek, but like, I think you raised a perfect point in that everything that we saw from Real Madrid yesterday was the personification of basically... Three players, Luka Modric, who had a quiet game, Kareem Benzema, who was immense, obviously. Um, and we could talk about that penalty all day, especially given the fact that he missed two against Osasuna at the weekend to do a Panenka in the Champions League semifinal. Oh, my God, man. Have some have some respect. But no, I, I of course, beautiful moment. Um, I think the one part about Real Madrid that I would actually criticize them on is some of the individual weaknesses that they showed. And I think that when you look at David Alaba and Valverde specifically, I want to highlight who really gave Manchester City too many open opportunities. I thought that on the first goal, for example, for Manchester City's first goal, Alaba and Valverde were out of position. I thought that, again, throughout that match, Alaba found himself basically having to make a decision between do I stay with a potential runner through the through the, the half space or do, do I press uh, some combination of Bernardo Silva or Kevin De Bruyne right outside the 18-yard box? And I don't think he got that much support from Belverde in, in the process. And I think the reason why Manchester City were able to get in behind so often is actually the opposite of what I thought was going to happen, 
I thought they were going to utilize the wings so much more when in reality Bernardo Silva and Kevin De Bruyne and Riyad Mahrez used those, those half spaces right outside the 18 yard box really, really well. It happened on the first goal. It happened on the fourth goal, right? Bernardo Silva's uh, fourth goal. And I thought they found space way, way, way too easily. I think that's just down to Real Madrid's individual <laughs> mistakes that they made, um, which eventually saw for some reason, Luka Modric come off. Um, I, I didn't really understand many of Ancelotti's subs yesterday or whenever. Yeah. Yesterday. So. Oh yeah. I want to kind of stick with the, the lack of protection that, that Madrid center backs had. And, and a lot of that being down to Casemiro just not being in the game. You saw, this is another great advertisement for Casemiro. And, and I think today we saw from Liverpool's side in Fabinho, like, Brazil might have the two best defensive mids in the world right now, potentially. Um, <laughs> but I, it looked like Madrid were playing Cruz as the deepest midfielder in that game. And like, it just an interesting decision from Carlo <laughs> because this is now three straight rounds and maybe even like four straight games where Cruz especially in the second half, but a lot in, in the first half as well, just gets played around. seems like he's played around very easily now. And Grant, I get it, that he's, I want to say, um, much, much different athletic ability now in his career. But he has not really been able to last more than 60 minutes in these games. And honestly, even though 60 minutes, it's he's getting run around like a lot in these ga- in these really high intensity games as, as they've been in the last three rounds. Um, one, one thing that I'll add to that too, is that I don't, <laughs> I, I see Tony Cruz getting run around a lot too, but I don't, or I see a lot of their midfield doing that too. Like Casemiro had picked up numerous fouls in the PSG games, numerous against Chelsea as well um even in the first leg like I'm pretty sure he picked up a yellow card I think that's a byproduct of a larger problem for Real Madrid like there are core aging players that are not going to be around in two to three years and Real Madrid need to figure out how to solve that problem does Mbappe help for example (laughs) sure but I don't know if it's a full full answer well it's it's a guy they've been subbing on for Cruz in each of these games right it's Camavinga right he's he's come on in each time he's had far more energy. I mean, and it's not just because he's subbing on he's younger and he has likes to run around more than Cruz right now. And uh, Grant, he's not at Cruz's passing ability right now in his career, but why would you expect him to be when he's 18 years old? So um, it's, it's an interesting question. It's, I mean, I, I get why Tony Cruz is still playing. It's still starting these matches. Um, especially with his reputation, not just as a player whole, but with Real Madrid specifically in these last seven years. Um, but it, it's, a, it's a real question I feel like Carlo Ancelotti has to ask himself, especially in this second leg, because as you said, Casemiro could come back, but we've still seen at least two of that midfield and, and almost every, at least two players in, in that midfield in each of these games be taken out of the game defensively. I mean, easily is using the wrong word because they're playing this last two rounds, especially playing teams that are very good at, at 
pulling your midfielders out of position, but it's just looks like right now, it doesn't look like Tony Cruz can handle these games for like a significant amount of time, especially not from starting right now. So that, that's a question that I wonder um, if Carlo Ancelotti will, will consider for the next leg. I'm going to guess probably, no, it's probably more or less the same team with Casemiro maybe coming in for, for Valverde. But um, yeah, I, that, that's, it's an interesting one. Like they have to, they have to somehow combat the, the energy in Manchester City's midfield, which I think was on full display, especially that first half. Yeah, and you make a really good point about Carlo Ancelotti making changes. Uh, he does not make changes, if we ever know anything about this man, whether it's from his time at Everton or specifically <laughs> with Real Madrid this season. He has his gal 11. He really does not change from it unless he needs to. And circulating players, giving players rest, maybe that's part of why we're seeing Kroos, some combination of Modric as well, get run around the way that they have in these Champions League uh, knockout ties because they have not had the legs that even an aging Conte, right, still did a better job of, of at least running farther. And obviously I'm dumbing it down here, but running farther to do the defensive work that is so needed against a team like Manchester City and still also needed against a team like Chelsea. The one other thing that I want to touch on with Manchester City is you scored four goals against Real Madrid. They had not conceded five goals, which obviously Manchester City did not do, since I believe the late 80s or early 90s. That's, that's, a, pretty, that's a pretty significant moment for a second. Um, and I'm talking about in, in the European Cup. They conceded five goals before, obviously. But I guess from my point of view, if you're a Manchester City fan, hi, Rian's dad, are you happy after that result like you still won you're still taking a lead to the Bernabeu but are you are you content are you like I don't, I don't know how to feel if I'm, I'm, I'm a City fan I think you're probably really happy with the performance like again this is uh, oh they beat they beat Real Madrid they did beat them once again this is this is now two straight Champions League games and Madrid have given up a combined seven goals. Like this is, there's still a lot to be taken away from the performance. You're frustrated though with the result because, basically, because of what you saw during that entire game is that it's not enough to be dominating them, right? And then dominating them in terms of balance of play, it's not enough to be dominating them in that sense. And the result also has to match the dominance, right? And that's kind of where you, I think, as any City fan, and I'm sure a lot of the City players and coaches will feel frustrated in that sense, um, but feel really proud about how they played, I think, for the most part. Um, yeah, I, we go into the second leg now where I expect the game to go pretty s- similar in terms of um, I don't expect Madrid to be any more um, high-pressing than, than we saw in that game, and and I expect City to not be like any more desperate or any more defensive in terms of what whatever what they played i expect the kind of pattern of play to go pretty similar to what we just saw um it's really just you know, the moments the moments who's going to dominate the moments of the game the biggest moments in real madrid's champions league campaign this season 
have basically come from two people, Luka Modric and Kareem Benzema. And, and I don't think that's going to change. I think similarly for City, their biggest moments have come, A, at the right time, which is fantastic for them. But also, I think it's been spread around the team. Like, I think there have been moments throughout this campaign where you point to Gabriel Jesus, you point to Kevin De Bruyne, you point to Bernardo Silva. In some ways, Ruben Diaz and Laporta could have had a goal each, right? In, in yesterday's game as well. So there, there are... There are going to be a lot of chances. I agree with you in that second leg. I am just not confident in picking Manchester City yet in a team that goes through. Because I, I will tell you this. If Real Madrid score first next week in Madrid, game over. I, I, I am like truly, I'm not even trying to speak it into existence. This is just what history says. Over the last two do or die games in the champions league they've pushed through and i see no reason to to change from that regardless of the opponent um i know you feel very differently but <laughs> that's that's my take yeah no I, I i think no matter what city should still feel confident to be able to go in there and and win honestly so it, it's obviously not going to be easy but they should feel really confident based off of that performance and Based off of a couple performances that we've seen from Real Madrid at the Bernabeu in the last month, it was it was funny. Like yesterday, I think one of the commentators was had remarked, like, um, you know, not many teams score three against against Real Madrid. And this is when it was like two nil to City, and I was like, wait, <laughs> I think one team did it like two weeks ago, and another team scored four against them like three weeks ago, <laughs> and then City ended up scoring four. Right? There's no reason that I that they shouldn't feel confident that they could go and score three at the Bernabeu. I, I fully agree with that. I, I 100% that Manchester City should feel confident in their ability to do that. I think it's it's easier said than done in this situation in Madrid at the Bernabeu. Um, <laughs> but not as difficult as it, as it used to be, or as or as I feel like, um, as the aura would tell, would tell you. True, true, fair enough. I'll, I'll definitely give you that. Um, so prediction, I feel like you are on the city side of, of expecting them to go through. I'm obviously expecting Real Madrid to go through since I'm expecting them to win the damn thing. Um, but we'll see next week. We'll probably do another one of these next week where Rihanna is telling me I'm wrong in at least half of it. So let's take a quick break. We'll be back talking about Liverpool Villarreal in, uh, in a very interesting evening for, for both sides. All right, Rian, let's talk about England. Let's talk about the other Champions League semifinal tie between Liverpool and I have still don't know how they did it, but Villarreal and the Yellow Submarines have made it to the Champions League semifinal. Unfortunately, losing 2-0 away at Anfield, um, I think anyone would be hard-pressed to say Liverpool were not the better side. Um, I think they are significantly the better side when it comes to chances created, when it comes to quite literally, if you want to do the math on expected goals um, and generally just so clearly being one of the top teams in the world. I mean, they were relentless in this game, like truly relentless. And I was beyond impressed with them. I was also very impressed with Villarreal's resolve in this, but I want to talk about Liverpool to start. The one thing that I was really worried about with both teams was who the hell is going to start both like for both teams. When I saw Liverpool's lineup, my initial thought was 
yeah, this feels, this feels like the right thing to do. <laughs> like this, this just feels right. And I feel like that was largely justified. Maybe not necessarily in the first half where, again, you said this best earlier in the week. Basically, it's going to go exactly like how Everton's game went with just more quality and better quality. And it's kind of exactly how it went, like literally exactly how it went. Um, so I guess we'll start with Liverpool. We'll start with them kind of in the first half. What did you think of their performance? Did you feel like they went into halftime the better side? Did you feel like they were going to get more out of this game? Did you feel like ultimately they were going to win the game? I, I, I really uh, agree with you on the starting lineup part of it. And, and I feel like you say that mostly because you saw Luis Diaz start starting. Of course. And I, of course. And I think, and I think he was really important because of how well organized those two back banks of four from Villarreal were as we expected to see, they did the same thing against Bayern. They kind of rode their luck in the second leg against like fully rode their luck in the second leg against Bayern and then, and then hit him late on a counter. But I, I think in this game, Diaz was really useful in the sense of when you're playing against a team like that, well organized. The best chance of getting through them is is with some kind of like individual wrecking of the of the structure of the other team, right? And that's kind of what what he tried to do. The amount of times that he tried to go at Foyth, especially on that right side, I thought Foyth held up actually pretty well against him. Um, against Diaz for a lot of the time, but we also saw a lot of the times when Diaz could also cut inside and then that kind of moves defenders out of place and, and that can help you try to break through. And I thought that he was really important and we, and we saw, especially in the second goal for Liverpool, where it's Salah that's running at the Villarreal back line, um, something that they didn't get a lot of chances to do, I think, in, in the first half. In the first half, I think they were trying to get in behind a lot and just weren't quite connecting on the passes or Villarreal were defending their box like really well, following the runs from Liverpool really well. Then second half, um, obviously the first goal's first goal's lucky, but a lot of that comes from what Liverpool do to you, where as soon as the ball turns over, they're immediately five guys running at your back line and Jordan Henderson is able to find space on the right side there and gets lucky with a deflection, of course. Um, but then the second goal from Salah, from uh, Salah Tamane, where Salah like picks it up in, in between those two lines and he gets to run at, um, the back line of, of Villarreal. And I think there's like at least three or four players like converge on him and that opens up the space for Mane to, to get through. And then it's just a perfect pass, a perfect nutmeg of a pass that puts uh, Mane in and makes it two nil and pretty deserved to know from Liverpool and um, be careful with that. Be careful with using the word deserved. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, no, I'm, I'm giving you shit, but <laughs> by your letter of the law, it, it was deserved because they scored the two goals, right? <laughs> I mean, technically they scored one. So I don't know where that falls into your, your, Oh, just because a goal is scored, it's deserved category, but um, yeah, they, they deserve to be, to be up and, and, they deserved to be up by not changing how they played as well, too. Because I thought that, again, I, I said, I tweeted it. It didn't seem like they changed the game plan much and they didn't need to from the first half because it was always just about, are you going to 
be patient enough for the moment to just kind of open up in one way or another, as long as they keep, as long as they kept putting the pressure, the, the tempo that they were playing was really high and they were being really direct with Villarreal and trying to move the ball really quickly. And that was kind of the only chance that you're going to keep creating chances to get the team that's that well organized. Um, it, it was, it was really impressive to see them not kind of lose their cool in terms of playing style and not just, start um i don't know hitting like 30 yard shots or or trying to cross it from 50 yards i do something like crazy not forcing it well i think we saw one player hit a 30 yard ball in the first half which would have been the spectacular but i mean i i totally agree with that point like i think liverpool's strategy that they employed of essentially overloading like a back four with five players some combination of the front three and their fullbacks worked really well like i saw one of the things that i noticed was trent and robertson did a really good job of spending a lot of their times like as wide as possible humanly possible and i don't think that was like an accident because sometimes you see both of them drift inside right some you see them underlapping with with the wide players you didn't really see that this time around and i think that was largely because they were trying to just open up space somewhere in the middle and you saw that happen in the second goal. You saw it brilliantly happen. Um, not say that all of Pau Torres' attention was turned towards Trent Alexander-Arnold when um, the ball is going through basically three people in, in the defensive line. But I think Liverpool played brilliantly. I'm not absolutely not going to take that away from them. I was really disappointed, though, in... Well, I'll go back to kind of what I mentioned at the start, is like the way Villarreal set up. Like, I was a little bit disappointed with that. I thought this was the perfect game for Serge Aurier. I thought he really could have been a defensive asset, and I can't believe I just said that, but I really thought he could be a defensive asset in terms of, like, relieving some of that pressure. And he came on later in the game with 20 minutes left, but I don't think that was enough time by then two goals had already gone in. I think that Foyth was there for a reason, basically, to be a big man (laughs) to, to stop as much of... Luis Diaz as he could. I don't know if that was the best option. Honestly, I still maintain that surgery would have been better. Um, I think Montreguero's probably also could have been a potential starter in this game, but I think the way that you and I Marie was thinking about this game is how do we win the battle of the midfield? Right. Cause that's where their star players are really like Danny Parejo. One thing that I found out, you know, before the game was, He's actually, he's in the 97th percentile for expected assists in Europe's top five leagues, which is incredible. Like for any player, let alone a player of, of course, that plays for Villarreal and obviously a constant standard, uh, constant starter. That's very impressive. And I think Unai Emery was really trying to win that battle. And he used Danny Parejo and Chiquese as basically uh, some sort of domino effect, right? Danny Prejo as uh, the the assister in the team, the player that provides those progressive passes as Rian loves to talk about. And Chiquese, who, while not a consistent goal scorer, consistent assist provider, he basically can create something out of nothing. Like, truly. I mean, you saw that against Bayern. You absolutely saw that. And I've seen La Liga multiple times. So if Villarreal had tried to match Liverpool, I think, in the way that they played, which they started to after the two goals had, had went in, they probably would have just been cooked. Like it, it would have gone terribly, but at the same time, 
I think that Villarreal were also trying to wait for their moment. It was not going to come nearly as often. Like they were just going to have fewer chances, but they are usually very clinical with their chances. And I'm disappointed that they weren't tonight. That's the long story short. Yeah. I, they played really similarly to the way they played against Bayern, especially in the way they set up, but also what happens when they got the ball, the calmness that they, that they play with when they're under so much pressure. It's, I mean, you really respect it. And I think that people will have this inclination that, Oh, why don't they just hoof it? Just start trying to play over it. Just play over this press here. It's like, I mean, this is how they play. This is exactly what got them to this point. Right. And, and they're all extremely comfortable with it. And they're all extremely comfortable with the pressure coming. The difference is when you're playing this Liverpool side, it's like a, their press is so well coordinated. It's it's arguably the best in the world, right? It's different than what they played against Bayern, especially even if you get past that first line of defense, that first press, you still have to get past Fabinho. And then you still have to get past like Konate. And then, I mean, you can basically put them both as, as being the final boss, which is Van Dyke or Allison. Those are, that's the final boss that you still have to get past. And um, look, it, it, it's nothing to be ashamed of, but Villarreal, they just don't have the quality and specifically the speed outside of Chukweze really like they didn't have the pace to really uh take advantage of those moments when they did get find some space and, and were able to get into Liverpool's half and then I think at the same time I mean the amount of times that that Danny Parejo got pickpocketed I think in that especially in that first half where you know, he's still trying to be very calm and, and he's taking like these two or three touches and like you just don't have that time against Liverpool especially when Mane is always running back from the from the forward line to come and press you so it was um it was just too much quality in the first place and then too much pressure and not pressure in the mental sense of it like literal pressure on the ball from from Liverpool and uh and that plus quality is, is enough for for at least a two goal lead, which which Liverpool now have. One hundred percent. And I think you you highlight that perfectly. You just don't have enough time. The interesting thing about Villarreal and actually their tie with Bayern is, even though I think on the ball Villarreal had more time, they still had significantly less number of chances, which is to be expected. But of those chances. Bayern only had, I believe, so Villarreal had something like 29 less shots than Bayern did over the course of two legs. And Bayern only generated an additional 0.5 XG higher than Villarreal did over both ties. And to me, that tells me that while obviously Bayern were in control for most of it, Villarreal ended both legs with, the same number of high quality chances, essentially from in, from inside the box. And, and because if you're taking 29 additional shots and generating 0.5 XG, you're taking some crappy outside the box shots. So that to me means that if Villarreal had the time against Liverpool or they have the time in the second leg at home to get time on the ball, to turn and to play it outwards, they can create those chances. So while I'm pretty 
I'm like 99% convinced or Liverpool are going to be in the Champions League final. That 1% is what I kind of have hope for uh, with, with Villarreal is that if you can give them a chance, they will, they will capitalize on it. So, I, I mean, listen, 1% chance, 99% faith. That's, that's what they say. Yeah, that's, that seems like a good um, measurement of the odds there. Uh, yeah, no, they, they're going to need, they're going to need more. They are going to need more time on the ball. Um, Liverpool from this game are averaging a defensive action every six passes that Villarreal <laughs> got off. And this isn't like, this is a different thing if it's, like let's say Real Real Madrid, who we saw score in like two passes, like, because they have the that's they have the pace and and um and guys that can carry the ball like that. Villarreal, they need they need to set these passes up to be to get into the other half. We saw it today, like when they did try to play out, and again credit to them, they tried to play out every single time, but they're very much willing to do the three or four passes in this, in the left corner, just to get it to the right corner <laughs> to, to their, to their right back and then start progressing through that um, channel. But when you only have six passes on average to get something off before there's a tackle or a foul or um, a block pass or something, it's for Villarreal, it's not enough time. And, and if it keeps progressing like that, then they're going to find it really difficult to even get more than the what one shot that they had today yeah that's that's a really brilliant point honestly um i don't think this second leg is gonna be so dissimilar from the first i do think that villarreal are gonna come across the same issues i can only hope and potentially say that having hopefully a healthy gerard moreno to receive some of those very infrequent passes will be a massive boost for them because obviously he was missing due to injury in this game. But that that's literally like the only glimmer of hope that, you know what I mean? That I, that I potentially have, because other than that, uh, they, they can still, I feel like I'm conceding this already that they're out, but like they can absolutely hang their hats high on, on the season. All right. Like the, the season could be over today and it would be successful, like no doubt. So <laughs> they they should still be proud. Yeah, of course, of course. A, a huge miss that it is not having Jeremy Moreno. Um, he's, yeah, not not to say that I think he would fare great against Virgil Van Dyke, but you would feel more confident the ball sticking to him. Uh, so that that's that's someone that's going to be a real great addition for them in the second leg, hopefully. And then no matter what, like you said, it's amazing season. They're going to get to play the second leg of a Champions League semifinal in front of what almost half of their entire city more than half of their entire city yeah no yes literally <laughs> like that like half their entire city it's incredible um and apparently about six to seven percent of their population Villarreal's population was at Anfield today which is insane and you can only imagine that like 75 percent of the population was watching the game at least so um yeah that's yeah, still very very impressive Rian, before we wrap up, I want to just very briefly should focus away from the Champions League, um, ask you how you're feeling. I, 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 we briefly talked about this offline, but United play Chelsea tomorrow um, in the Premier League. It's really the biggest midweek game that we have, other than Inter losing today, their, um, their game in hand. Just how- on the, on the yeah, really quick on the, on the Inter one, 
if you haven't gotten to see the second goal that Bologna scores <laughs> against Inter today, Inter having a chance to go top of Serie A, two points behind AC Milan with a game in hand, lose to Bologna, I think the 13th place Bologna, two to one, the second goal um is like off of a off of a throw in their own like defensive left-hand corner um it's passed in and, and played to their backup keeper who then tries to sweep it to his right side and almost scores an own goal if not for the Bologna attacker who was pressing him the entire time just tapping it in from like an inch less than an inch I, I think that one actually registered as like it's the first like 1.0 xg goal I, I think I've seen from any of like these sites and so sorry sorry to interrupt no that, that's not an interruption I did not know the last part that it registered as basically a 1.0 xg goal which I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, make, it makes sense. Like, it obviously is. But that is a genuinely incredible stat that you have to hit. Um, props to them, I guess. Props to them. Um, but to shift focus, Chelsea United. I was talking to a friend of mine earlier today about this and who was a Chelsea fan. And I basically said, I actually have no idea what's going to happen in this game tomorrow. Manchester United are missing Fred, Pogba, Cavani, and there's someone, oh, Maguire and Sancho and Jordan Sancho. Oh my God. Um, honestly, <laughs> beyond that, maybe this is harsh on Fred. Outside of Sancho, I don't really think that they need anyone else right now to necessarily make the team better. But who do you think? I just want to know who you think is actually going to come out on top because my, my heart and, and my head are saying Chelsea by far. But I think back to their performance against Arsenal. Let's just say, if you change one or two scenarios by a couple inches and that, like it's a completely different game. So I don't know. Yeah, look on paper, this United side has been pretty dire for the last like two to three weeks. Um, and, and look, their their performance against Arsenal probably warranted a bit more, but but they we talked about it like their their finishing isn't at the same level as it has been in the last two seasons or the two seasons prior to this one so that's hurting them right now but outside of that yeah they're going to go into this game as definite underdogs while <laughs> chelsea have have been kind of weird the last week or so like basically since i mean basically since the second leg of the of the champions league semifinal i know they end up beating crystal palace on the weekend after that and now they're in this kind of weird position where there's really one game left for the rest of the season that has major significance, um, which is the FA Cup final against against Liverpool. I, I I would hope that they're still getting that they're up for these games. They played Arsenal. They had they there were some rotations and and wasn't the the uh, it it wasn't what the best version of the Chelsea team looks like right now. Basically, is the is the long and short of it, but. If they get back, like Reese James tomorrow, potentially will play tomorrow. And um, I don't think Kovacic is playing, but if, if they get um, Reese James and I think Rudiger back tomorrow, then they have to feel pretty confident. Um, this United team is somehow in a worse place than they were when Chelsea played them in the first half of the season when they, when, you know, they kind of botched that game where they, they should have won it, but they end up drawing 1-1. One, one. Um, so yeah, Chelsea should win tomorrow. <laughs> they should. They should. And 
I think a win tomorrow would almost guarantee that third place or, or almost guarantee fourth place um, at worst. And then third place, it would put them, I think, eight points up on Arsenal um, on the same amount of games. And with four games left, that would be just about just about curtains for for Chelsea's season in terms of Premier League like importance. Um, oh, yeah, I, I, I think if they go at it that, I mean, they're not going to go at it thinking that tomorrow's the last game that matters in the Premier League, but like um, from a point of personal pride, that's kind of the last big league game um, for the rest of the season. So. Yeah, yeah, very good point. I'm not going to disagree with you for first time in like one and a half podcasts. So actually like half a pod, what am I talking about? We butted heads all of last podcast, but anyway, neither here nor there. Um, I will be watching tomorrow uh, since, you know, there's no Europa league for me to watch. So I got that going on for me. Um, I'm just, I'm just sad at this point, but <laughs> I'll, I'll leave you with that thought. Uh, being a Philly sports fan and being a Barcelona fan, has it has to have cost me like hundreds in therapy at this point like it just like it had to so i'm gonna leave the podcast on that note with that thought we will talk to you all next week after this weekend's games plus of course the champions league semifinals second legs and of course talk soon stay healthy and stay safe thanks guys